Greetings and welcome to the Uncensored Humanity Podcast. This is a long-form podcast where I'm going to sit down with guests and we're going to just have a conversation. There's no script, there's no editing, this is raw and real. So what you see is what you get. Now you're going to have to bear with me as I'm new to all of this. I'm not an audio engineer, so the quality might not be as, as great as some of the other professional podcasts out there, you know, but I'm doing this out of my living room just because I want to do it. I don't really see this ever getting huge, but that doesn't really matter to me because I want to do it for me. And I'm hoping that others will find enjoyment in it, which is why I want to put it out there for everyone else to hear as well. So hopefully you guys will enjoy the conversations as much as I know I will. Today's episode is brought to us by Mike the Strongman. Are you tired of getting your training and nutrition advice from someone with only a weekend certification? Then perhaps it's time to turn to someone with over 15 years of research-based experience. Mike the Strongman can help you with all your training and nutrition needs. Mike has a proven track record of getting results with his clients. Visit MikeTheStrongMan.com for more information or email Mike at MikeTheStrongMan at gmail.com if you're ready to take your performance to the next level. This episode is also brought to us by CrossFit Strongsville. CrossFit Strongsville is a place where everyday people become heroes every day. Through qualified coaching, challenging yet modifiable exercise programming, and a supportive community unlike any other, members find ways to break through their personal barriers physically, mentally, and emotionally. No matter what level you're at, from the very beginner to the elite, you'll find you'll receive great service from the moment you walk through the door, and we promise it will be one of the best hours of your day. Check out CrossFitStrongsville.com for more info and to sign up for a free one-on-one consultation with the owner, a 12-year veteran of the fitness and therapy fields. And last but not least, this episode is brought to us by the Healthiest You Chiropractic Center. The Healthiest You Chiropractic Center in Strongsville, Ohio is dedicated to giving their patient community the highest level of health care. Their doctors have been trained on the newest and most innovative styles of chiropractic and rehabilitative treatment. From back pain to ankle strains, the Healthiest You has remedies for varieties of injuries. Looking to perform better in life and activity? Their team takes a wellness-based approach to health rather than focusing only on symptoms such as pain. Call 440 or email them at thychiro, that's T-H-Y-C-H-I-R-O, at gmail.com for questions about becoming a patient. Now is a better time than ever to become the healthiest you. Okay, folks, today we got a chance to sit down with Dr. Maximilian Zart of the Healthiest You Chiropractic Center. Um, Dr. Max is one of the sponsors of the show, and he's been very supportive in helping me get this up and running. And I was really looking forward to sitting down with him. And I'm hoping that he'll be one of our more regular guests so we can kind of pick his brain about chiropractic care and lifting in general and rehabilitation and those kind of things that we deal with in the gym. You know, and I think he's got a lot to offer all of us. And plus, he's just a fun guy to talk to. He's really into music. He loves gaming. You know, so he's, he's just down to earth and a real person. You know, and I love him to death. And I, I can't wait for you guys to really get to know him. So without any further ado... Sit back, strap in, and enjoy our conversation. Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Uncensored Humanity Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Hess, and I'm sitting here today at CrossFit Strongsville in the Healthiest You Chiropractic Center with Maximilian Zart. Max, how you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me on today. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm glad that we got together and got to do this. So, so Max is my chiropractor, and Max and I have known each other for how many years now? 
probably three, four like years? Three, three and a half, yeah, maybe almost four now. Something like that. Cause we got introduced to each other from our uh, mutual friend, uh, David Choma of CrossFit Strongsville, which uh, you guys kind of cohabitate the same kind of space up here at the, in Strongsville, Ohio. Yeah. So yeah. Um, you guys are good friends. How long have you guys known each other? So we've known each other since we were about 19. We okay. actually met kind of outside of the fitness health industry and then kind of realized we had that in common, and that's when our friendship really blew up okay so because i knew david from um, crossfit before and then he introduced me to you and then i messed up my back <laughs> and i started coming up here to you and you kind of got me all fixed up and we've kind of just been like doing that thing coming up here and hanging out and kind of being friends ever since so that's kind of a lot of fun so so you've been here in strongsville with the healthiest you chiropractic and this is kind of your first um bid into chiropractic care right so yeah this is my first time trying my own business okay and i guess at four years now i'm not trying anymore I guess no no can it's, say we're doing it's pretty much established <laughs> at this point so yeah um before that i was working with my mentor so for about two years i worked under him learning the business administrative side of being a chiropractor okay um so chiropractic is unique in that you don't really see a lot of them in hospitals most of them are run private practice. And so because it's private practice, school tries to teach you a little bit about being a business entrepreneur, but, and they do a really good job at the school I went to, um, but you still need a little bit extra. And so my mentor really provided that for me. So though I didn't feel I needed a lot of work on the clinical diagnostic side of being a chiropractor, I did need a lot of work on how to run a business, how to manage staff, um, and really how to kind of talk the talk. I knew how to walk the walk, but I didn't know how to talk the talk. So I didn't know about the, the first part. And you could be the best chiropractor in the world, but if you don't know how to go out and get people and get them to believe in you, no one will ever know you're the best chiropractor. Yeah, unfortunately, that's kind of the bad thing about most business is the fact that once you get into it, you realize that, hey, I'm really good at chiropractor. I love this stuff. I love helping people, but that's a just a small fraction of what I get to do for the day because I have to manage my own business and I have to you know do with the lease of the building and deal with customers and clients and everything else and insurance and all these kind of things that they don't probably really tell you about because you got it. they don't know these things because, well, they teach. Right. <laughs> they don't run their own business. If right. they ran their own business, they could tell you that, which is why you did your internship, obviously, before you started your own practice. You got it. So where did you do your uh, internship at? So, um, of course, they let you in the student clinic for about a year before they let you graduate. So you're an intern, your student intern doc there, I guess oh, you Like call in it. college? Yes. Okay. So in chiropractic school, kind of like how a med student would do their interning or even residency, if you want to call it that, you get that in chiropractic school too. For, so for your last year, you're in the community treating patients. In fact, you can't graduate unless you go out into the community and bring patients to the student clinic and treat them just like you would in practice. Well, that's good. So, yeah, that helps a lot with at least getting comfortable talking chiropractic. We call it talking the tick, uh, so that TIC of chiropractic, which okay. is the heartbeat of it. Um, so I did that for a year, and then um, I set up with Dr. Minork. Uh, Dr. Gary Minork is in Fairlawn, Ohio. And he runs a very successful practice, and he's brilliant. And he's one of the smoothest talkers I've ever met in my entire life. So I always joke that he could sell a turd to a clean freak. So <laughs> he's just that guy. And so he's also the type of guy who just emanates 
charisma. So he's definitely one of those people where the minute you meet him, you like him. You don't even know why. Yeah. So we've all met people like that. Yes. And so it, you know, in fact, you mentioned uh, David Shoma. He's like that. Yes, David is so, very much like that. So he, uh, Gary Minork is one of those guys you definitely want to follow when you meet him. Uh, he's actually the guy who got me into chiropractic too. So I was pre-med in undergrad, and I knew I wanted to be a healer, but I didn't necessarily know how I wanted to do it. So I worked at a GNC while I was in undergrad, and Gary Minork used to come in and buy supplements from me at GNC. And he was a great guy, and everyone in that community loved him. So I ended up hurting my back at the very end of undergrad. I'd already applied to med schools. I had already taken the MCAT. I was just kind of picking which school I was going to go to. Ended up hurting my back almost as if God poked me in the back and said, you're going the wrong direction. <laughs> I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't lifting weights. I didn't pick anything up. I wasn't twisting. I was just sitting in a chair, and all of a sudden my back hurt as if it had, uh, in a way it had never hurt before. Uh, after about a day of being stubborn, because no guy really wants to go to the doctor if we don't have to. Of course not. You can wait for like six months and then go, right? Exactly. If it, if it isn't completely broken and I'm completely <laughs> crippled, I'm just going to eat yeah. this. There's no gunshot wounds. We're fine. Yeah. So... Um, it took about a day or two before I decided I wanted to do something about it. And I recalled upon the fact that I was selling this doctor of chiropractic supplements and everybody else in the community loved him. And he happened to be right across the street from the GNC I was working at. So I called up my mom. I said, Hey, is this voodoo doctor on our insurance? Because I want to go check it out. And I specifically use those words, which is ironic because <laughs> people call me a voodoo doctor all the time, which I embrace. Um, if you want to imply that I have magical healing powers that correct things, it sounds much cooler than what I actually do. So I'll take that. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but he was on our insurance. I popped into his office. He fixed me up right away. He showed me some x-rays and was able to explain why I was hurting. At the time I was working out, I was also doing some MMA type stuff. And he said, you know, if I can get your nervous system working right, it's not just going to get you to feel better. You're going to perform better. And I noticed those things. So by having that little bit of competition, having the lifting, I had that quantitative measurement that showed chiropractic is doing more than just getting me out of pain. I'm getting stronger. I'm getting faster. So I fell in love with what it did. And his office was great because his staff knew me right away. They'd call me by my first name. I didn't feel like just some other number. I didn't feel like I was on a conveyor belt just getting blown up with adjustments and yeah, out the door. Exactly. And paying a we've, we've all seen chiropractors like that. Absolutely. In fact, we get a bad rap for being like that. Well, I, mean, I think you get a bad rap from, I think, the medical field because they want to see it as voodoo. They don't want to see it as a real way of actually getting better. Yeah. You know, so I don't think it's just that, but I think that definitely does not help. Yeah, contribute plays to into that. it. Yeah. yeah. So... Um, it was actually him, Dr. Minorik, who told me that he thought I'd be a good chiropractor. And it made sense. I'm the son of a construction worker. So I've grown up working with my hands my entire life. And again, I knew I wanted to be a healer. And I just wasn't quite sure how to incorporate that into my future. And so when he said it, it's funny that I didn't come to the conclusion on my own. But the minute he brought it up and said, hey, Max, I think you would make a good chiropractor. I know you're on your way to medical school, but I don't know if that's the right route for you. Maybe you should try chiropractic. I completely agreed with him on a whim, revoked my own medical school applications okay. and sent out chiropractic school applications, which was really interesting conversations to have with medical schools because a lot of times chiropractic school is actually an alternative to kids who don't get into medical schools or well, doctor of osteopathy schools. Yeah. It's easier to get into. You don't have to take the MCAT, which is the entrance exam to get into medical school. So they go basically just off of high GPA and good interview. Um, 
Not that I love that. I would actually prefer if there were some form of entrance exam. <laughs> Maybe that's because I took the MCAT. <laughs> so I feel like everyone else should have to suffer through that too. <laughs> um, but because of that, it's again, it's a second career choice for a lot of pre-med students who don't get to achieve that, that medical school dream. Um, so when I was calling up medical schools and saying, hey, you know what? I changed my mind. I don't necessarily want to go to medical school or osteopathy school. I want to go to chiropractic school. So I appreciate you guys showing interest in me. And I just wanted to let you guys know personally. Um, some of them were really positive about it. Some of the schools thought I was completely nuts. Of course. And, uh, you know, now I couldn't be happier with my choice. Um, and I ended up going to Palmer College of Chiropractic in Florida. Uh, that's a great school. The main campus of Palmer is in Iowa. Palmer is the founding school of chiropractic. Dee Dee Palmer is the guy who started everything chiropractic. Um, so I went to the Florida campus because if you've ever been to Davenport, Iowa, uh, it's not necessarily the most beautiful place to spend three and a half years. Yeah. So I, I initially applied there, was accepted, and was going to go there. But then when I visited the Florida campus, I transferred my application down to Florida <laughs> because it's each one serves its own purpose. You might wonder, well, why wouldn't everyone go to Florida? And really, it's if you're one of those people that's easily distracted, you want to go somewhere where there's no distractions. Yeah. Uh, Florida has a lot of distractions. It's just south of Daytona Beach. You got the spring break crowd. You've got the bike week crowd. You got all that stuff going on. But you need to be able to separate those two. You need to be able to get work done when work needs to be done, and then you need to play when you have time to play. Yeah, but like you said, some people really do struggle with that. So they, they need to kind of isolate themselves from any kind of distractions and just focus and get through it. Whereas some people, it sounds like you're kind of in that boat, whereas you want to work hard, want to play hard. you know, you And that's it. kind of how you recover so you can get back in and do your schoolwork. To working hard, exactly. exactly. So, And the other thing, too, is I'll tell you, I'm not, I've never been a big party monster. So the idea of being in Daytona Beach didn't scare me because I was like, I'm not going to take full advantage of being in Daytona Beach anyways. Yeah, this makes uh, sense because I couldn't see you up on, like, standing on the bar doing jello shots. Yeah, Sorry, no, I just can't see you doing that. Never, never been that kind of guy. <laughs> I had a stint of college life that lasted about six months, and then I got right back into serious mode right after that. Like, and, okay, uh, time to work. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, it didn't necessarily scare me to do that. Now, I've since mentored a couple students who intentionally went to the Iowa campus because they knew if they were in an environment like Daytona Beach, it was going to mess with their ability to study properly. Um, and I admire someone who's able to look at themselves and say, hey, you know what, this wouldn't work. And I'll tell you, I had a lot of classmates where I looked at them and thought, man, you should have probably gone to the Davenport campus because this party life is killing you. It's killing your GPA. I yeah. don't even know if you're going to get through this. Well, let's, let's be honest. Most people go to college to party. They don't go to get through school. Right. Not I hate to say it, but it's true. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, what do they, what do they always tell you, like, the first day of college? You know, look to your left and look to your right because, yeah. you know, two of you aren't going to be here you know, at the yep. end of this. And it's like, oh, hold on now. Let's yeah. wait a second because when I went to school, like, they said that exact same shit, you know, and we had, like, a – Small class. I was in a small technical college, you know, so there was only a handful of us in the drafting department because most people there were for, you know, mountaineering and outdoor services and horse whatever and forestry and all that kind of other shit. And I, you know, so they were all outside. We were the nerds in the lab, you know. Yeah, this and, sounds very familiar. Oh, I know the feeling, right? <laughs> and then they said that and like there was 25 of us or whatever it was on day one, you know, we all had the exact same classes because there's only 20 of us. It's not like there's, you know, a hundred and you got to split them all up and you get to see different people. Like we all went exact same classes together and everything. And I think we graduated like 20 of us 
and only because I think three people ended up transferring to other, you know, um, majors or whatever you want to call it. Sure. And that so, was a super similar experience at my chiropractic school. Oh, really? Um, we started with about 80. And I think we ended with 76, but they definitely gave us that talk. They definitely said, look to the left and the right. One of you won't get through. Okay. And um, So it was a higher percentage of pass y- rate. Yeah. So so you think, okay, well, only 66% of our class is going to get through, and that's not what ended up happening. Now, I will say some of the people who graduated in my class were actually from classes above, and they maybe failed some classes and dropped down into my class. But about the same amount of people fail out of my class and drop down into lower classes okay. too. So um, they that don't kind of evens itself out. You got it. So they don't give you a lot of opportunity to fail a whole bunch of classes, but at the same time, every college, every university, I do believe most of them priority one is to educate, but priority two is to make money. They've got to be able to afford to stay open. That's true of anything. That's true of my business. It's I need just to, a business. You got it. I've got to take care of people and that's priority one. And I try to let the financial part take care of itself. But if I don't make any money and I adjust everyone for free, I can't keep the doors open. I can't keep the power on. So I, I get it with universities. I don't hold that against them. Um, so they do what they can to get you through too. They're not there to get in the way. Uh, the board exams, which you take later in your academic career, those might stop you from actually becoming a chiropractor. So the interesting thing there is you can actually become a DC or a doctor of chiropractic, finish all your schooling, get through all of that. But if you don't pass the boards, you can't really tell anyone you are because the minute you start throwing that around that you're a chiropractor, if you're not licensed in the state that you're throwing that around to, they almost view it in most states like false advertising. So if you're not a licensed chiropractor, you're really not supposed to be telling people you're a doctor of chiropractic because it gives an implication that people can come to you for care. And the truth is, if you're not licensed in that state, you can't. And you can't be licensed if you don't pass all these boards. Ohio um, is, is like almost every other state. There's five board exams that we take uh, to pass through. The fifth one is kind of not as big and scary as the other one. The fifth one's more about therapies like muscle stimulation and massage and how rehabilitative exercise can get patients well. Um, so that one's a walk in the park compared to the rest of them. Um, but the exam before that, they actually bring in actors. They, You have to go through everything with a proctor just sitting in the corner. You're not allowed to talk to the proctor. You can't even acknowledge they're there. You get docked points. Um, and these actors are trained to respond exactly like a chiropractic patient would. So the only thing you're not doing in that last exam is actually adjusting. But you actually set up. So it would be almost like if you told a batter, step into the batter's box and get right to that spot right before you would hit the ball, but don't hit the ball. <laughs> and then they grade you on that. How, would, how, how far would that ball have gone? Where would it have gone to? And that's how they grade you. Interesting. So very interesting, right? But it makes sense. You can't just have someone getting adjusted you know, 150 times a day every time they do a board exam. So they they count on the schools to have actually shown you how to swing through the ball and knock it out of the park. But they still want to see that you can set up properly. Well, that makes sense. So, yeah. And one of the interesting things about that is every – so where medical schools, osteopathy schools educate pretty similarly, chiropractic schools don't. And this is an issue with chiropractic too and why – you don't see them as a bigger force or unified force in healthcare and why sometimes they can kind of be the scapegoat healthcare is 
we don't all join hands and agree on what chiropractors do. And that starts right at the school level. The schools don't all agree on how to educate chiropractors. So every school teaches you something different. So then you've all got to take these standardized board exams. Well, the boards are predominantly made by one specific school. And believe it or not, it's not Palmer. So because of that, the wording on some of the exams or when they tell you to set up a certain adjustment, that may not be the way you learned it in school. But you have to learn that just so you can pass boards. Okay. So a lot of times you'll set up on these adjustments and boards and you're like, you know, I've never adjusted this way, but I know this is what they're looking for on boards. Okay. Um, so that's kind of an interesting feature too. And you'll find that some of the schools are really good at adjusting. Some of the schools are really good at the science aspect of being a chiropractor. Some of the schools are really philosophical. So they go back to the origination of chiropractic and how, um, you know, you're basically removing nerve interference so that your body can do essentially God's will to perform any task that it needs to, including healing. And so that's what's actually happening there. So you remove the nerve interference as the chiropractor and the body's healing itself. Okay. Um, Palmer kind of ties all three of those different ends of the spectrum together and sits right in the middle. They're not really far to any one side of that. And that's one of the things I liked about the school that I went to. It's kind of have a good mix of everything instead of just relying all on one. You got it. Because the schools that rely all on one seem kind of fanatical in their own right. Like the ones that are really good at the clinical, diagnostic, scientific side of it. It's really cool that they know that, but they kind of seem elitist because they almost they really seem like the ones that really meant to be medical doctors or doctors of osteopathy and then just didn't have a good enough MCAT score, didn't have good enough grades, so they went to this school again. Yeah. But they're still going to pretend that they're medical doctors and doctors of osteopathy, even though really they're not. And that can be dangerous, too, because you start stepping on an MD's foot in the community, and he's going to definitely downplay what your service is. But if you make it clear, hey, I do something totally different. Medical doctor, you do this piece, and I do this piece, and we can work together on patients. Absolutely. You usually end up with a lot of friends in the community. We haven't really met a lot of adversity from the medical uh, world, I guess, in our little isolated ecosystem here in Strongsville just because of that. I don't try to step on any other provider's toes, whether it be a physical therapist, a medical doctor, a doctor of osteopathy. So any of those, I love it when a patient goes and gets a second opinion. And if that doctor tramples all over chiropractic, usually the patient comes back to me and asks why. Hey, why did that physician think that your way of looking at it was wrong and their way of looking at it was right. Usually we're pretty open-minded here. I'm not the type of guy to say, well, they're completely wrong. Let me tell you why. Yeah. And that usually turns people off, but our open-mindedness tends to settle people down and actually create a lot of trust. Absolutely. And that's, that's kind of what you need to do to run a successful business is have your clients trust you. You know, I mean, I don't know if you consider them clients or patients or, yeah, patients, or just, just yeah. they're bloody people is what they are. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. You're selling to people. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because without people, you kind of don't have a business. So, yeah, you're so exactly I mean, right. you're, you're exactly right in that aspect of it to just understand that they might have some reservations because of stuff they've heard, you know. But I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I, I've been to a couple of bad chiropractors and then I came here. And realize, oh, okay, so they're not all horrible. Right. You know, th there's actually ones out there that kind of want to actually fix you and think about things and don't just, you know, do the standard adjustments. Okay, crack your neck, crack your back, crack your hip. See you later. Bye. Yeah. You know, you got it. 
So you, I totally understand that. You got it. So I always say to patients who have been to a chiropractor before and had a bad experience, hey, we're not all created equal when it comes to this. No. Especially in chiropractic where it's done by hand mostly. There's maybe about 10, 20% of chiropractors who use instrument devices to adjust exclusively. Uh, we're not one of those offices. We still adhere to, to adjusting by hand. Uh, the word actually is broken down into chiro and practic. And so the, the, the word origin um, of chiropractic actually means done by hand. So when those chiropractors are exclusively using instruments, I feel like it's a little bit of a bastardization of the profession itself. Um, I do believe all forms of chiropractic work and you don't have to adjust just like me to get people healthy uh, as long as you're really good at the way that you do it. But I'm not 100% on board with just adjusting people through instrument adjusting. I could teach anyone how to use different little instruments to adjust people. But it takes a special individual to be able to learn how to do it by hand. So I think that's what makes us unique is that we heal by hand rather than by device. Yeah, well, because if you can't feel what's going on, I assume there's some other issues in there. If you're using a tool, I mean, yeah, it gets the job done, but I think you could probably do a little bit better with your hands because you can feel exactly kind of what's going on. You got it. And and there's, you know, I'm a scientific guy. My undergrad degree is in instrumental chemistry, so I definitely look at things analytically. But there is a degree of metaphysical that's associated with chiropractic too and you see this a lot with acupuncture with the whole meridian system and all that where it's nothing tangible you don't feel a meridian it's just there and you have to if you're going to go to an acupuncturist you have to believe that it's there when they're working on you or you're not going to get any better well with chiropractic there's a little bit of that too not quite to the degree of an acupuncturist or maybe a reiki practitioner but I definitely believe there's some healing that happens just through human touch. So the minute I put my hands on a patient, my intent can be felt through that patient. So if I grab you by the shoulder, you know I mean to hurt you. If I place my hand gently on your shoulder, you know I mean I mean you no harm. I mean to help you. So even that that feeling of intent that you get, kind of helps in in the facility and you being a patient here maybe you've even felt that just through the way the staff treats you you start to feel better before you've even gotten on the table and gotten adjusted because maybe the staff is treating you real well that day or just the minute i walk in the room the interaction we have starts to make you feel a little bit better so exactly i mean because i mean everyone talks about it you know humans can heal by touch and Mm -hmm. it's the reason why in in a crisis what's the first thing you want to do you want to run up and hug someone hug someone you know, and like, because you, you want that human connection. And there, there's something very powerful about that, you know. And, and like, the something that I reach back to is I, th- I think of my grandmother, you know. And, and people talk about how all oh, the old ladies, like, you no, know, they cook with love and all this kind yeah. of stuff. And But if you really look into this, like, there's a lot that really speaks to me that says, this is really true. Because mm-hmm. there's times where, well, let's, let's say, um, like, you know, I, I, grew, I grew up in a church. I assume you did as well. Yeah. Right. That's kind of what we do here in the States, you know, and I've, I've kind of fallen away from that. It's just, I don't, this is not what I believe in. I don't believe in organized religion. That that's just not for me. But I remember my mom always offering to cook food for people if they were, if they're in the church and they were hurt that they had surgery or something happened. So, you know, you'd make meals and you take over the family. So that's just one more thing that they don't have to deal with. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's a great way to just show people that you love, but I truly believe that that food would taste better for those people because she made it with the intent of just loving on them. You got it. You know, and it's just, 
I, I think you can really kind of put that into your everyday life. And, and it's, it's the reason why, you know, relationships are so powerful to people because they, they finally feel love and they just need that intimate human connection with another person. Absolutely. So yeah. you're tying it exactly to what I look at in chiropractic. And so anything I, uh, I say in this cast too, it's, these are my feelings about my profession and, and just about life in general, but it doesn't have to be right for everybody. This is just the way I look at chiropractic. We've met chiropractic in, in our community with some success. So our way is working. It's I'm not the busiest, most successful chiropractic office that's ever existed. But Nor I'm, do you want to be. No, because <laughs> I've got uh, I've got a wife. I've got two kids at home. I like to do some different hobbies. You know, I'm a big geek, so I like to game, whether it's on consoles or computers or tabletop. I like to uh, work on my home. I like to work out a lot. So if I was the busiest office in the world, my balance would be so tipped and and unbalanced that that scale would be so tipped towards profession that I wouldn't be myself. I'd, I'd lose semblance of myself. And I actually think I'd be a worse chiropractor for Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And that's, and that's a struggle that a lot of people I think get into when they start their own business. I think that they have to focus everything on their business and nothing else matters. And it's like, no, 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 no. There has to be balance in your life. Otherwise you can't do what you do effectively. Yeah. And if you can't do what you do effectively, you, your patients will leave. They feel it. They yeah. feel it. And I've definitely hit different spots in our four-year lifespan where I've known that I've missed that, that I've maybe focused too much on another thing and not enough on the patient care or the office, and I've seen the office take a hit from it, um, and then I end up having to go to my staff and to accept that, hey, this is my fault. This is my fault. We're struggling right well, now. Well, it has to be, because so. if it's not your fault, you can't fix it. Absolutely. And s- Absolutely. Such as the joys of leadership. Yeah, you got it. So, um, but that's that's definitely happened to us even in our short lifespan here where I know that I've gotten distracted and that distraction has absolutely affected this. Um, but at the same time, if I pour everything I've got into the office, then the rest of my life would crumble. And if that happened, then I would be so distracted by my personal life falling apart that I wouldn't be able to be a great chiropractor. Exactly. So that, you know, again, it's all about balance, but I'm one of those people that has to exist in balance. I have a friend who's a chiropractor who doesn't, he can pour a hundred percent of himself into the office and that to him is balance that, that works for him. And he's really successful because of it. He does great. He sees tons of patients. His community loves him financially. He does very well for himself and he's happy that way. Uh, but that, system doesn't necessarily work for me and my you know going back to my mentor uh dr gary minoric he used to always 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 say family first yeah so if any sort of family crisis came up he'd let me leave the office instantly um if i felt like i needed to take a vacation just so that me and my wife could connect better he was always 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 family first um and that's kind of stuck with me now too moving forwards as a professional that I view it the same way. It's always family first. So if there's something going on in one of my staff members' personal life, I'll always offer that. Hey, you need to bounce out of here. Do you need to take care of your your family here? Because if you're worried about that all day, you aren't going to be great in the professional setting anyways. And I care about you, and I want you to be able to take care of your family first. Yeah, I mean, it has to be that way. Because if if it's not family first, like, what is there left? I mean, how many studies have they done with people on their deathbed? And, you know, and then they go to them and they say, what do you wish you would have done differently 
in your life, which is a horrible time to ask somebody yeah, who's miserable geez. and laying on a bed. And yeah. you got to recall all the horrible things in their life where you should be really focusing on the positive things that they have and what, what love is still left in their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, and I can't imagine anyone laying there, like almost dying, like you're, you're getting ready to check out. Nobody knows yeah. what's going to happen, which is kind of the fun experience of this, you know, existence on this plane. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, none of us know what's coming. Yeah. Some of us think we know. We hope we know. Yeah, but hope we know. None of hope us really we know. know. Yeah. Anybody, yeah. And anybody who does claim they know is full of shit. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Or just, or really, really trusting. Uh, there, um, there's but that. Yeah, you but. just, again, you hope you know, but you're exactly right. You, nobody would ever say, well, you know what? I wish I would have just really worked more. Yeah, I need more time in the office. I wish I would have answered more emails. Yeah. Like, screw that. I wish I would have spent less time with my kids and yeah. more time working. No, no, it's, it's all it's all about that. the connections of love in your life. You got you it. Know? So family has to come first. And, then that, and that's the great part about, you know, like this office, you know, because we're, we're podcasting here in your office, you know, and it's it's you always feel that when you come in the door. You come in, you feel like family. You feel like Everybody knows your name. Everybody knows what you're doing. Everybody's asking questions. You know, it was like, I'm, I compete in Olympic weightlifting and a bunch of people here like do CrossFit or powerlifting or something. So like, Hey, how, how are your lifts going? Are you any meets coming up? So everybody's curious about what's going yeah. on, which is such a great thing. You become part of our family yeah. here. And it's, it's funny because, um, right now we're in my waiting room and it's, it's pretty furnished. But when we first opened, it wasn't, I didn't have hardly anything in the waiting room, but the only thing I did have was a couch. And some people thought that was really weird. But what I told them at that point in time, I really didn't have two pennies to rub together. So I actually used a couch from my own house. Of course. Um, But the couch is still in here. And the couch is here because I wanted it to feel like a family atmosphere. Um, Now, even when you walk in, I've got, you know, my own college pennant on there. So you get to know about me on our whiteboard right now. It's an announcement for my daughter that we just had about three weeks ago, uh, how big she was when she was born, all that. So I know I'm going to get a glimpse into your life. I want you to get a glimpse into my life. And part of the reason we do that is I I want you to feel like you're joining a family here. This isn't just a place to go to get cracked and get the heck out of the door. Yeah. That's, uh, that's not my office. In fact, if someone's looking for that, I'll send them to one of the other chiropractors in town. Cause I know you're not going to like my office. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, here we try to create that family atmosphere and, um, you know, a lot of our patients know I'll bounce in on a day off to take care of someone and they go, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I made you do this. And no, 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 I do it for my own family. So I do it for any of my patients too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some people dread being at work. It's funny. We're here on a Sunday morning and we're here at my work and I have no problems hanging out here with you instead of being like, Oh, I don't want to be there on a Sunday. Let's just meet at my house or something like that. Like, no, this is my home away from home essentially. And I probably spend more waking hours here than, (laughs) than at home. Well, unfortunately that's kind of the dilemma of like the work life, you know, balance. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's because we all have to kind of spend time away from the people that we love to provide for them, you you know, and it's nobody really explained to that. Like, Nobody explained that to us when we were kids. Right. And I don't remember anybody coming to me when I was like six years old, like, hey, someday you have to go to work all day, every day, five days a week to buy bread. Well, like, no one told me this. What's going on? <laughs> right. Well, and they don't even prepare you well for it because school is, what, 730 to 230? I look at that now and I'm like, holy smokes, my second shift of the day starts at 230. Yeah. Like that's, and that seemed like an eon too. And I, I certainly believe time seems to go by faster the older I get, but 7.30 to 2.30 seemed like that was forever, but that would be a pretty short work day, really, if you include a lunch in there and a study hall or a recess or whatever it may be. Yeah. You're really not doing a lot of work 
when you're in the formal school setting where you get out into the workforce. I know we're here from 8 to about 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. We get a little two-hour lunch break. I don't really take it. I, I eat during that two hours, but I'm usually doing the behind-the-scenes work at that time. And that's what a workday looks like for me. But if you told kids in middle school, like, hey, we're going to change up your time frame here. You're going to come in at 8, so you're going to get a half hour extra sleep in. But you don't get to go home to see mom and dad until about 6.30, 7 o'clock. I think this is going to be a really good idea. You're going to be really good at school now. <laughs> Nobody would like that because they'd say, I don't care how much better I get at school. I'm not going to have that balance. I'm not going to be with my family. I'm not going to be able to play sports. I'm not going to be able to do these things that I love. Yeah. Um, so you're right. It doesn't necessarily always let us know, hey, this is this is what you're going to get. And I kind of fall into that guy gender stereotype of feeling like, oh, I've got to go out there and hunt for my family. You know, I've got to go provide for them. Yeah. Um, of course, you know, I I cheat with my own personal business here and what i mean by that is uh my wife is part of the staff and then i bring my kids to the office so that's another one of those if patients don't like it sorry i'm i'm bringing a two and a half year old and i'm bringing a three week old into the office because <laughs> um i know that i need that balance and that's one way that i can kind of cheat the system i'm at work here but i'm with my i'm with my girls all day and we get to have lunch together and i still get to see my daughter's interactions with people so I don't feel like I'm missing her growing up. Uh, and that's really a lesson I take from a lot of people older and smarter than me saying, hey, don't miss your kids growing up. Uh, even my mentor felt like he maybe missed his oldest growing up yeah. um, or a little more than he wanted to. But when I started working with him, he set the table really well. He showed me he went to every single one of his son's baseball games, and I think he still does it. His son plays uh, uh, baseball in college now, and he goes to as many of those games as he possibly can too. But he was there for his son and and really just his kids and his family as much as he possibly could be by the time I came into the picture. Okay. But by the time I had come into the picture, he had been doing it for 20 years. So he admitted that his oldest – when she was young, he didn't get to see as much. He feels like he missed her growing up and then only started to really establish a relationship with her in her teens and was kind of teaching me, hey, don't do that if you don't have to. Well, yeah, but unfortunately that's kind of the nature of the beast when you're self-employed because you've got to put in a lot of extra hours. Whereas it. most people, they get to show up at work at 8, they get an hour lunch, they get to go home at 5. Yep. You know, like that's their normal day. Yep. You know, I mean, obviously people work different shifts, sure, 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 weekends sure. and retail and crazy stuff like that. But essentially they get to show up, work there four, six, eight hours, whatever it is they're working and go home and leave yeah. work at work. That whole phrase, leave work at work. Yeah. We've all heard it before. Yeah. We don't get to do that. No, here. no. In, in when, fact, you're, when you're self-employed, like work is kind of your life. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So which, which is why the balance comes into play so much, which is why you try to bring, you know, your wife and your family in here, you know, and to try to let them be a part of it because you're going to be here anyway. There's nothing you can do about right. that. If you want right. to provide for your family, you have to be here. Gotta be I mean, here. yeah, you could quit and you could go get a job somewhere, you know, but you're not going to be happy. No. You're not going to be fulfilled. No. You know, so you got to just keep doing what you're doing and hustling. So I appreciate that. So thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's tough so, work and most people are not like brave enough to do it. So I salute you because I'm one of those guys. I do not want that stress. Because no, like yeah. when I got out of college, like I couldn't find work and I was super frustrated because I went to school to learn um, a program called AutoCAD to draw on computers and I'm thinking I can get out and do anything I want. It's so versatile. It's going to be amazing. And I yeah. get out and realize it's old technology. Nobody needs it anymore, but it's oh. 3d stuff. It's like, yeah, well shit, I just wasted two years of my life. This oh, sucks. No. And then I finally got a job and I was kind of working in the industry that I'm working in now. 
because it's the only one that's still used AutoCAD. Like, <laughs> well, hey, I can I can do that. Hire me on. And and I saw my boss, who was really good at his job, so much so that he left other firms to open up his own. And he was super successful and loving it, working out of his basement. He just, it was him and a drafting board. And then he got into the computer stuff and doing all that kind of stuff just because you have to. you got to keep up. You know, and then he ended up hiring somebody on, like right out of school, who's still a great friend of mine today, Cliff. I just love that guy, and and those two were just going at it, and it's just the two of them. So Cliff was doing the computer stuff, and Lewis was doing all the design and the meetings and going out in the site and doing all those kind of things. And it was a great team, you know. And they started to get busier and busier and busier because he's good at his job, you know, and. And he got up to the point where by the time I started, he had seven or eight people there, including his wife was doing the books, you know, four hours a day, just so he didn't have to. Sure. You know, and he was just forever out at meetings and trying to drum up work and doing all the paperwork and calling, you know, social services and the insurance companies and all these kind of bullshit things that he didn't want to have to do. And unfortunately, he he got he got to basically stop doing what he loved. Because he had to run his business. Yeah, administration took yeah. him away from the profession. Exactly. Itself. So I saw that, and that was like a huge lesson to me. Like, hey, whoa. Like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Like, I'd rather just do what I'm good at and go home and enjoy my life and see my, my family and go play sports or do whatever, you know. And, sure. You know, and it's just, it's, it's a really tough thing. So I, I really do appreciate that because well, most, most kids, especially your age, you know, yeah, sorry. I, I call you a kid. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I, I, somehow but. I fall into the millennials. I was just uh, uh, made privy to that about six months no, ago. I'm I didn't, still technically millennial, too, I but I think, think like a 50-year-old man. Yeah, so I didn't right. think I was a millennial, and, and it kind of bummed me out when I realized <laughs> I was one. Sorry to millennials maybe listening. No, no, no. Stop, being, but, uh, stop being all politically correct. Yeah, fuck that. But, like, fuck you, millennials. <laughs> but they make us look bad. No, and, they, that uh, they do. And, uh, yeah, it's, we're definitely, I guess, lumped into that generation, but that's a generation of entitlement. Again, I mentioned I, I was, you know, the son of a construction worker. And so entitlement wasn't something he was ever going to allow me to have. Uh, so I've had to work for everything, but. Which is good. Cause that's, that's made you the man that you are today. You got it. You know, and like my grandma and I talk about this all the time and I cannot wait to get her on the podcast so we can talk about how she grew up and what's different. Cause she's in her seventies. And she hustles more than most 30-year-olds that I know. Sure. You know, when I'm in my 30s. Like, she out-hustles me. Mm-hmm. You know, like, she's just, just, no, like, never give up. Like, go get her attitude. Like, it's just, it's amazing. And she has so much to offer, I think, a lot of kids our age, you know, because we didn't grow up like that. You know, she grew up in really hard times on a farm, just always had to just hustle, always. Yeah. And that, that has led her to what she is now, is just, you know, kicking ass and taking names, you know. And she, and she runs a company, and... And she's and she, that's still hers, and she still runs it. She she goes in the office, you know. Yeah, granted, she awesome. she goes down to Florida every winter when it starts to snow. <laughs> sure. you know, we live in Ohio. Every Ohio there's white stuff dream. here. Yeah. I don't know about that. I do not want to live in Florida. <laughs> the, that it, is not for me. Not the living in it part. The snowbird part. Yeah, of it. being away from the snow. Being be a snowbird is like the dream of every Ohio. I don't I don't mind the snow as long as I don't have to drive in it so yeah, much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was actually raised in Florida. I was born here in Ohio, but raised in Florida came back here, went to high school and undergrad here in Ohio, then went back to Florida for chiropractic school, then came back here to per- practice. So I call myself floor because I'm half and half, <laughs> but I will tell you the snow is just, I, I tried to make myself like it by doing snow sports and stuff like that. And it just, it didn't work. I, I really just hate the snow. Well, there's no, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Just know, know what you like. Yeah. But let's dig into that a little bit. Cause I didn't know that you were born here 
and then you grew up in Florida. So when did you move down to Florida? So I was six when we my parents um, took my immediate family down to the Florida Keys. So the rest of my family is from Northeast Ohio. Um, I've got um, one set of relatives that are down in Alabama, but then everybody else uh, Northeast Ohio, except for us, we moved down to the Keys and that was my dad's dream. He uh, worked in the union and he worked his tail off and he was starting to feel like he was missing his kids growing up. I've got a younger sister um, and he was feeling like he was missing that. So when we moved down there, she was uh, I think three or maybe four and I was six, depending on when we would have moved down. Um, so, and then I spent from six to about 13 or 14 years old, uh, down in the Florida Keys. And, uh, we grew up on an Island called Big Pine Key. It's the biggest of the islands down there on that chain. If, if people aren't familiar with the Florida Keys, that's an Island chain beneath the mainland of Florida. So Florida kind of looks like the handle of a pan. And then down at the very bottom, imagine if at the bottom of the, that panhandle, there was just a whole bunch of little Island chains there. Uh, there's one road called us one that connects all the islands together uh not every island has its own school so we had to cross something like seven bridges to get to the school that i went to for middle school but is it it's still considered florida though right oh absolutely okay so, although if you went there and you compared the florida keys to orlando you'd feel like you were in a different country um and i don't say that because i have a latin american influence or anything like that i say it because it's a bizarre setting there is no mid, true middle class. I would say that my family was middle class, but we were very unique in that sense. Uh, there's ultra upper class and ultra lower class and nothing in between. Okay. So there's the people who want to live there, the millionaires that have the million dollar homes on yeah. an island and they travel back and forth from probably somewhere like Ohio in the, in the summer and then they go down there in the, in the winter. And then there's the people who have to live there because they can't get out. Um, a lot of mobile homes, a lot of trailers. Uh, um, and really, that's that's the type of home that those families can afford. It's not that they live in a, in a mobile home or a tiny home by choice. It's not all sunshine and butterflies like HGTV makes it out to be. It's a tiny home because it has to be a tiny home because yeah. they can't afford anything else. Um, and so when you grow up around that, it created some really interesting dynamics for me. Um, the other thing that's really, really prevalent down in the Keys is drugs, unfortunately. And uh, I guess I can't speak for now being 30 years old and having not, you know, been removed from it for about 15 years. But when I was down there, drugs were very, very prevalent with it being in such close proximity to some of those South American countries and to Cuba. Uh, those drugs are just pouring into the Keys that way. And so, um, you know, I remember going to a bus stop. We had to go to bus stops. We didn't just walk out our front door and stand at the end of our driveway and the bus would pick us up that way. We had to go to a bus stop. And I remember at that bus stop, kids used to grow weed at the bus stop. And it irked me so bad, I used to pick fights with these kids. And so <laughs> I. How old are you now? This and, is what, junior high? Right, or high this, school, exactly, like? junior high. Okay. So. Um, I was not a big kid. Um, I always say like all my size now is fake size. I've put it on through working out, but I'm not naturally a big kid. So before the time of having the opportunity to work out or anything, I was just a skinny kid. Um, but I, because of that really, really separated uh, um, economy and because of the prevalence of drugs, it really created a super strong sense of right and wrong for me. So instead of seeing the world very gray, like most 
millennials probably do. I, I, mean, I think don't. I don't think it's millennials. I think it's just a lot of people nowadays. People. And it's and it's an easy way to accept yourself to live in the gray a lot, not to say, oh well, I'm doing this exactly right or I'm doing this wrong. Everyone just says I'm doing it my way, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's completely okay. But I grew up with a very black and white opinion of what's right and what's wrong, and uh, uh, because of that, and because of being surrounded by drugs and making a decision to not do them ever. To this day, I've never touched a drug, nothing illegal, nothing like that. Never smoked a cigarette, didn't drink until after I was 21. So I'm that goody two shoes dweeb. But <laughs> I, somebody I, had to be, right? Yeah, some, there's got to be one of us. So, but I was pissy as a hornet when I was that age, when I was that junior high age, early high school age, because of that. Because when I would see people doing things that I didn't agree with, uh, and maybe I thought I was right and they were wrong, whether you know that's true or not. I would do something about it. I felt like I had to do something about it. I felt compelled to do something about it. So like in the case of those kids growing drugs at our bus stop, well, I wasn't the youngest kid at my bus stop. Shoot, I'd be bringing my little sister there. She's three years younger than me. So I'm going to set an example for her, and I'm going to stop these kids out and let them know what's right and what's wrong so that my little sister knows what's right and what's wrong. Yeah. Um, so I, w- I wouldn't by any means say I'm the toughest guy in the world in the minute I had one daughter and now two, I'm definitely not tough. <laughs> but when I was young, again, that strong sense of right and wrong drove me a lot. Um, the interesting thing is, to this day, my dad will give me a hard time about that. He grew up in that punk era, and he was a punk. So he was a punk rocker. My mom was a fan of punk rock music, so that's how they met. They met because he was in bands. He opened for, like, Devo, Henry Rollins, Black Flag. Get out of here. So he did that whole thing. He was a bass guitarist. And so he lived more in the gray when he was younger. And because of that, seeing me grow up that way, he even now will tell me he doesn't understand how I ended up the way I ended up with such a strong sense of right and wrong because he's just not that way. He's not the same way. He's yeah. kind of one of those teach their own, live and let live and all that thing. And it's funny because in topics of morality, I don't tend to be that way, uh, you know whether for better or worse, I tend to be very, I'm going to end up having an opinion if it's a subject of morality. I'm going to have an opinion one way or the other. So when we get in topics of morality, a lot of times people either love me or they hate me because I don't just do the whole, yeah, well, yeah, you just do your thing and I'll just do mine. (laughs) But, you know, I've, uh, of course, had to kind of quell that a little bit more in the office. There's things they tell you not to talk about when you're even in chiropractic school. They say, don't talk to your patients about religion and politics. Let's not talk about the things that are actually interesting in our lives. No, don't, let's let's don't talk about the that. weather and yeah. dancing with the stars and you the stupid it. fantasy you football. Like, you got it. I hate that. Like, because why it. can't we talk about these things, have different opinions, and realize that hey, I'm not trying to change your mind. I'm not trying to tell you you're wrong. I have a different opinion. I'm allowed to have my opinion, Absolutely. even if it's wrong. Well, and sometimes you know? it validates your opinion stronger and validates my opinion stronger. If you don't have debate or you never meet adversity about your opinions. They're pretty weak opinions. Yeah, absolutely. And, they're, and, and, they're, and all they are is that. They're just opinions then. They're not really a stance because you've never had to make a stand about your opinion. Yeah, and not, not to mention that most people need to be humble enough to realize that, uh, guess what? Chances are in half of the shit you know, it's wrong. Mm-hmm. And you need to be able to realize that and yeah. change your mind mm-hmm. and be okay with it. There's nothing wrong with that. This, these no. are good traits to have. Yeah, And absolutely. it freaks me out that we can't talk about politics and religion and these kind of things because... Those are interesting things that I love to talk yeah. about, especially yeah. religion, yeah. you know, because like I grew up in a church, you know, and then I hated it my entire life. Never. And it was just never into it. Didn't like it, you know, and I remember just feeling like 
people looked at me like, oh, well, you're not as good as I am because I believe this, you know, religion stuff better than you do. And, sure. oh, where, where, where have you been? Why haven't you been at church recently? And, oh, my goodness, you're such a heathen. And, oh, you swore. Like, well, that's, that's horrible. Like, well, yeah, I said shit. Yeah. And guess what? You said crap. You're saying the exact same thing I'm saying, just for some reason the word that I'm using is bad and I shouldn't use it. Right. Well, don't forget the English language didn't even exist when the Bible was written. So anything they take about curse words and and biblical and everything, that's not even so much in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not even in there. But but that's you're exactly right. And so um, that's something that's. I don't mind getting into the topics, but if I feel a patient is getting really heated and I feel like it's going to affect my relationship with that patient and my ability to be able to heal that patient, I'll back off of, of it. Of course. So absolutely. if a patient brings up something about religion, brings up something about politics, especially here, this most uh, recent election, holy smokes, were people fired up and everybody wanted to come in here and talk to me about it. And it was <laughs> challenging because you'd get these patients. And even if I wasn't providing a lot to the conversation, they'd get so fired up just talking about it that I'd take them out of the treatment room, start walking them to the waiting room, and they'd still be talking about it. And someone else in the waiting room would see exactly opposite. They'd be voting for the other candidate. And all sudden I have two patients ready to throw down in my waiting room over over this election and then I'm kind of stuck in the middle in the in, in the one patient's like well I just talked to Dr. Max this whole time about it so obviously he agrees with me and it's like well I wasn't really throwing my entire two but, but it's not even so much that it's like who cares like yeah. if 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 one's voting for one bad candidate and the other person's voting for the other bad candidate because right. let's be honest in this election we're between Dude. Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump Two both of them are fucking horrible less than ideal candidates no, 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 would no. be the not, politically not, correct not way less to put than it. ideal they are fucking <laughs> horrible yeah. yeah okay and like we we've got one Hillary who's just out for her own glory wants to be the first woman president like doesn't care about anybody else doesn't care about any real there's there's no sense of right or wrong it's just whatever she thinks is going to get her votes sure like because I mean what. We we could go on and on about that. Yeah, that, that's, that's its, its own. Ridi- that's, that's its own. That's ridiculous. That's its own. She own, is own like whole hour. what I believe is absolutely evil about politicians. Yeah, like someone who's there for her own benefit and yeah. not to be there Personal for others. Game. And then there's Donald Trump, who I I literally literally believe that he ran on a dare because people Feels told like him because people told him they couldn't do it and things got a little out of hand just because Hillary Clinton was such a bad candidate. He got he elected because if you would have had anybody, anyone, anybody, anyone else against her, they'd have been elected in a heartbeat. That every like, guess what? Guess what happened? You had like the one of the worst candidates you could have against her, and he still got elected. Yeah, like that's how bad of a candidate she is. She needs to retire, go away, leave. Bye, see you later, and we'll yeah. never see you again. Yeah, you yeah. know. So, but w- why can't we talk about that yeah. and not get all huffy about it? And because I've got a friend, we we have the same friend who gets still fiery about it because he hates Donald Trump and oh my God and Hillary Clinton was such a better candidate and she's not I'm not like she's horrible why is she horrible like well why is she not (laughs) like mysteriously people die around this woman like isn't that like a little suspicious I don't know she has power possibly (laughs) this could be a bad thing like people don't just mysteriously die around me (laughs) that I don't agree with you know (laughs) this is is weird you know uh, I don't know like maybe that's different but he still gets all huffy about it but we can't even have a conversation because he gets so mad and so invested and I'm like Dude, 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 hold on. Let's stop and talk about this. Like, I'm not for Donald Trump. I think he's horrible. I didn't vote for him by any means. Yeah. You know, but I still think he's a better option than, you know, Hillary. But that doesn't mean that I'm right or wrong or indifferent. Right? Those are just my thoughts. Well, and you vote based on your own personal interests a lot of times. And when I I say personal interests, that, that ranges too, right? So I have to vote based on my business 
and being a small business owner. But then yeah. I also have to vote based on my daughters and that whole bit. And I know they were running the whole, like, you know, Donald Trump says horrible things about women and all that stuff. But at the same time, I have absolutely no problems voting for a female president. However, the idea that the female president would be someone that my daughters would look up to, I don't want to raise two Hillary Clintons in, in you know, that's going to offend some people, but I I don't. You know, what Hillary has done, like you said, everything's been for her own personal betterment. Yeah. You know, husband not only cheated on her, but did it on the biggest stage he possibly could have. And she just stuck around and hung it out and it had nothing to do with how much she loved Bill Clinton. Yeah. It had to do with how much she loved the idea of becoming a president one day, so she was going to keep that last name. Uh, that's not what I'm looking for for my own daughters either. I want them to be strong-willed and independent. Here's the thing. If, uh, you know, down the road, my daughters get married and their husbands cheat on them. They won't have that option to stay with their husbands because I'm going to poleax them. So <laughs> <laughs> it won't matter anyways. But I'll tell you that, that that's, you know, essentially the way I looked at it was, you know, I have no problems um, with uh, female candidates being in places of power. I think that's wonderful, especially now having two daughters of my own. I think it's even better than I maybe did before. But I want them to be someone that my daughters can look up to, and I just didn't really think that she had that no i, I, I agree 100 percent. yeah she wears pantsuits and looks like kim john hill really <laughs> so it just it wasn't really working for me either so Teaches um, yeah so She's not for me so again yeah so so yeah i'm with you there but i'm i think people got so inflamed and violent about this past election because people were so uneasy and uncomfortable with the candidates that they were provided that they had to fight to develop that stance. Like we said, it's only an opinion until you make a stance and you don't have a stance until you have a stand. Well, they were trying to make a stand so that they actually knew what they felt about this. So people were having to get fired up about it because they weren't even sure in their own right of why they had to vote for this person. So well, that makes figured, a lot of sense. I never really thought about it that way. Yeah. But now that you mention it, absolutely. So that, that seemed to be where a lot of that was coming from. But uh, yeah, definitely provided for some interesting uh, topics here in the office. It's, and, it's been an interesting year. Let's, yeah. let's be honest. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's you know, you, we talked a little bit about Hillary. You know, the, the trickiest thing for me to accept with Donald Trump is that he is literally a walking SNL skit. He just, like, they've been making SNL skits about this guy, like, since he's existed. And then they just keep doing it. If we make that much fun of them, imagine how much the rest of the world sees this as a joke. We look at, you know, we've yeah. made him a joke. Whether he was one or not, we made him a joke before he ever ran for presidency. And then we gave him a shot to run for presidency, almost like saying, well, America doesn't entirely take this thing seriously. Well, we pretty much joke about everything. Well, let's be real honest here as well, is that the president is just a figurehead. You know, like, I don't believe there should be any real power coming through that office because that's, we need the whole idea of checks and balances. Now, sure. he needs to be there to be part of that, you know, but he shouldn't be able to get in office and write the laws and do the kind of things that he's been able to do, which, you know, some people are freaking out about. You know, but a lot of people were freaking out about President Obama when he did the same things as well. But, like, no president should have that kind of power. Like, he used to be able to write bills. That's fine, but you need to send it to the House and the Senate to be voted on to see if they're okay with it. You have the right to veto their bills if you don't like it. That's fine. Mm -hmm. You know, because the whole idea of all of you working together for the betterment of society and not just, you know, to put forth, like, your own career. Like, this yeah. is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, you know, I actually th ha have 
learned, I guess, how successful that checks and balance system is since Donald Trump's been in office because he, he had some ideas that were good, especially being a small business owner. And he had some ideas that were really, really bad ideas, you know, the wall and things like that. <laughs> and the interesting uh, still thing pretty is sure he's not serious about that. He, he hasn't been able to do any of it, though. He hasn't employed any of the stuff that Shocker. he said he was going to do. Right. And he just passed his hundred day mark and he still hasn't been able to do anything, even with an all Repu a, a Republican swaying House and Senate and, and judiciary branch. He still hasn't been able to do any of those things. And I think it's a testament of the fact that there is that good checks and balance there so that the other members of our government were able to see some of these things and be like, hey, man, I'm on. I'm, I'm red, too, but I can't. Good. I can't let you do that. Think for you yourself. Know? Do what's yeah. best for the people. Exactly. That's your freaking job. And so they've done that, and it's kind of put them at a stalemate. But Good. if anything, exactly, I don't know that I'd be willing to take the bad associated with the good. So like I said, if he did things that helped me on my taxes and stuff like that, does that then make it so like, ah, yeah, he built this giant wall, made another country pay for it, and yada, yada. And that actually happened somehow. But he helped me on my taxes, so he seems like a good guy. Like, no, I wouldn't accept that because I want the betterment of our society as well. So, Absolutely. Um, so it's been kind of interesting that he hasn't really been able to do much of, of anything. One of the other things that's super challenging, you know, that same chiropractic buddy I, I mentioned a while previous that's really successful, neither one of us voted for Barack Obama. I'll, I'll put that out there. But the funny thing with Barack Obama is every time he got in front of a mic, I liked him. He just, he was a smooth He's a likeable talker. Guy. Holy smokes. You talk about he is that. He's a good politician. Yes. That magnetic charisma that he has that. Yeah. And so I remember when the Cavs uh, got to visit the White House, I was like, man, I love this dude. Why didn't I vote for him again? And then we put someone in there who's such a poor public speaker and just pretty much goes rogue off his own script every single time and that's tough to accept because you're going from someone who whether you liked his policies or not he presented himself well and he presented himself like a president should present themselves yes. and now we're going to someone who even if he had the best ideas in the world the way he pervades himself is just challenging he's acting like a child he, he's, bizarre, he's throwing a five-year-old temper tantrum is what he's doing well it's kind of bizarre that he can watch himself on tv and be like i think that turned out exactly the way i wanted and not be like <laughs> whoa guys we got to do something let's, to let's change my image yeah holy crap <laughs> even the way he stands up there and the way he waves his fingers around and stuff you think holy smokes does he watch that and think yeah this is exactly what a president should look like it's just it's interesting that all that stuff uh still flies but i guess i don't know that I'd love him anymore if he was a smooth talker. Love him any less? I don't know, but I, I guess it was the case with Barack Obama. I, I really liked the way he spoke. I really liked the way he presented himself. I liked that he could kind of do the po political thing when he needed to, but he could also kind of drop that and just talk about the Cavs winning the the World Championship or something like that. It was really cool to me that he could play both roles because. I think in America you need to. I think with our, especially with our generation, you can't just live in the political domain because our generation is so uninformed. They know way more about LeBron James than they do about branches of government and things like yeah, that. Yeah, but that might be part of the problem. Absolutely, absolutely. But the fact that he was able to bounce back and forth, I think is maybe trailblazing for future candidates to be able to learn a little bit more about that too. Let's hope so. So we want a little interesting side Huge note. Huge tangent. <laughs> but that's okay though. This is fun stuff. It's yeah. one of the reasons why I don't want to have a script. So so back to junior high. You're beating up the drug dealer. <laughs> yeah, so we're back to that. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so I don't think I was beating up a drug dealer. I was only like 11. And hey, they're like growing the drugs. Bait. They're selling it. They're, they're drug growing dealers. it. Yeah, okay. Sucks to so, yeah. Them. So, so you had to literally go between different islands to go to school. So how long was your like 
trip into school. Oh, right. It was like a half hour. So oh, so they're to... real quick to get across. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm imagining like something you got to drive like an hour across or something. No, but, but... there is a seven-mile bridge down in, in Florida, which is one of the longest bridges uh, on the planet. I don't think it is the longest bridge anymore, uh, but there is a seven-mile bridge. That's in the opposite direction from my school. So my parents actually had to cross that every day to go to work. Okay. So they drove one way. I went the other way. Um, so it's interesting because we ended up, you know, if I was at school and my parents were at work, they were about an hour away from me. Again, there's only one road connecting the whole thing. So there was no like, hey, I'm sick, mommy. Can you come get me and take me home? Uh, uh, I had a bad day. The nurse says I need to go home. There is none of that down yeah. there. Your parents are far enough away. that That's not really you're, an you're, option. You're kind of stuck at school. Yeah, you're at school. You're at school. Um, so yes, school, growing up down there had some really cool perks and I don't hold anything against my parents for taking us down there. In fact, I got to grow up kind of like Huck Finn, just fishing and swimming and beach life and all of those things, uh, got really comfortable being outside. So building forts and that whole bit, um, so that was wonderful. Played a ton of sports, mainly soccer and baseball. Those were my, my big two. When did you start playing sports? So my dad's interesting. He wouldn't let me play T-ball. He said that it would mess with my baseball swing. So he didn't let me start playing baseball until there was, some, until there was someone actually pitching at me. Okay. Um, so I was probably like seven or eight when I started playing baseball. Uh, started playing soccer at the same time. One of my best friends down there was playing soccer. So I decided uh, I wanted to be on a team with him. Um, so I started playing soccer down there too. Nice thing about sports down there is you're never really out of season because it's always good weather. So you're playing all the time, which, um, you know, it's a good thing down there. Um, up here, the kids are playing sports all the time, but you got to be on club and it's expensive and all this. Well, I mean, that's, that's a waste of time and money because as we all know, the the good athletes are going to rise to the top. No matter what. You know, so you don't need to, I mean, no grand, you need to put in the time, you need to understand the game. But I I really believe that a lot of these parents are doing disservice to their kids by letting them play like one sport all year round and doing the club teams and the travel ball and all these kind of things that they do. I'm like, no, 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 let them be kids. Let them play. Let them have fun. Burn them out. Teach them how to move. Like teach them how to play the sports, have them understand the game. You yeah. know, because like a buddy of mine, his, his kids get ready to play tackle football. You know, he's probably like fifth, sixth grade. And I'm like, dude, no. <laughs> like they should be playing football probably until high school, really, yeah. with all the TBIs and everything else, and traumatic mm-hmm. brain injuries. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like the kids should be doing drills, learning the game, having fun, playing. But they shouldn't be doing full contact where they just run into each other and they don't learn how to tackle. And they, right. they see what they see on ESPN where they just lower the shoulder and Spear. hit people. And like, yeah. no, 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 no. The idea of the tackle is they hit somebody, wrap your arms, take them down. Yeah. Like, uh, teach them those kind of things by doing drills. And you, you can have whole leagues to do that kind of stuff and have fun and play. But you don't need to be just putting pads on them and just run into each other, you know, what, 12 years old. Like, come Let on, this is a little ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let the biggest kid win. Yeah, so, just a little bit. So, um, so yeah, I've been playing sports since then. Um, like I said, went to um, elementary school and then went to middle school down there. Uh, started high school up here. Um, Did you come up to start your freshman year? Did you come I, I up believe like I was actually year? in eighth grade. And so, you know, it's funny. Time goes by enough that you kind of forget it. But I believe I was in eighth grade when I moved up here. Um, and then, you know, got all of college up here or, or, or all of uh, high school up here. And then my undergrad college up here, too. Um, so up here, I continued with baseball. I tried one year of football because I thought, again, seeing stuff on TV, I thought I'd be good for it. Uh, it was before I was really old enough to 
to be lifting weights heavy and everything like that. So I hadn't really exercised. I was just a skinny athletic kid. And football was just not for me. The, uh, like, the gritting your teeth and headbutting each other at good plays and all that stuff. And I came from soccer and baseball where there's none of that. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't fit in on the football team. I also happened to be the smallest kid on the team. I have a September birthday. My parents started me in school right away. So I, start, I started every year a year younger than all the other kids. And so really at that eighth grade to freshman year, everybody else had hit puberty but me. And so I was the smallest kid on the team. I was hairless. I'm going <laughs> out there trying to play a man's sport as a boy, and it just didn't work. I got obliterated out there. I didn't like it at all. Um, finished out the season because I'm not a quitter. Um, ended up even breaking a finger. Got it stuck in someone's shoulder pads. He walked away, broke it right off. Um, broke your finger off? off. off. Like, oh, but, wow. But, but snapped, a right in, in, snapped it into a right angle. Um Still stuck it out, finished out the season, but I remember my dad telling me at the end of the season, like, look, you're not a football player. You're a baseball player. Baseball season's right around the corner. You're going to show Ohioans what you're all about. And so um, stuck with baseball through high school. I did not play in college. I wouldn't have really had the opportunity because at that time my high school wasn't renowned for sports. Yeah. So college didn't have a ton of interest in me playing there. I ended up you know, again, working class family. So I worked all through college too. So I wouldn't have really had the time. No, because when you're an to, athlete in college, that's that's your job. You got it. And you go to class on the side, but your job is sports. It's sports. And and I wasn't at a D1 school where there's any uh, possibility for big scholarship or anything like that. So D3 school, you're not getting scholarships for your sports anyways. Yeah. So there wouldn't have been a huge point to playing sports. That's where I found MMA and started doing that quite a bit. But I could do that on my own time. Um, and, and kind of stepped away from baseball. And interestingly enough, after, um, after chiropractic school, I went back to play, playing baseball and played in kind of like a men's, uh, kind of like a semi-pro league, um, and had a total ball with it and ended up being, it's funny that much time away didn't really seem to affect me negatively as baseball player. In fact, I felt like a better baseball player almost because there was nothing tied to it. I wasn't trying to become a professional baseball player. Yeah, you're just playing it because you loved it. I was just playing it because I loved it, and I actually saw the ball better than I ever did, and um, was that's able fascinating because most times when to. you step away from something like that, you you kind of lose some skills. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, you can come right back to it and actually do better and do better. So, and at that time too, it was the difference between you know high school kid and grown man. So, but you also uh, do you think it was just? Out. Do you think it was just also because like the stress maybe like you were yeah. so worried about playing well and doing well. It being liked and all the things you kind of struggle with in high school you got it every, every kid does these are just normal things you got it so there was no pressure when i went back and played um once i became a chiropractor it was pretty cool in my mentor's office there were anywhere between three and five chiropractors uh there at the same time so if i needed to step away to go out to a game on a friday night i could do that and he gave me that uh freedom it probably helped that he was a huge baseball fan and his son was also playing baseball Definitely and i gonna was, help i was weight training his son so he wanted me to play baseball too to kind of create that credibility for his son so um so it worked out really good and he was really proud of me um to even do that so i got the opportunity to do that and it was awesome i had a ton of fun with it uh once i came up here uh, to strongsville and had to open up my own practice i ran out of time it was yeah. just one of those things i'd love to do it again I, I my eyes are on it in the future it's definitely something i'd like to participate in in the future but it's just not something i can do right now just because of time so, i completely understand so that yeah there's things you got to give up and realize what your focus is and Sometimes things take a back back seat, you know. Then they're not gone forever. You just, you know, no. 
right, don't do them for now. I've already proven that I can go back to it after <laughs> years away, so I'll just do it again and be in an older guy league. Um, but that was a lot of fun. I got to go against, um, you know, I remember one pitcher. He had just been cut from, like, the Phillies A organization a week prior, and then he's out there pitching against me. And so um, that was a lot of fun. It was cool to have those opportunities to play against. Some of the guys were real casual like me. Some of the guys were – on college teams and that was kind of like their summer league yeah. to, you know between uh, uh school years and stuff like that so you had a wide a- array of athletes you had um a lot of former baseball players they'd played in college and now they were older guys and so and everything in between so it was it was a really really cool experience again to feel that teamsmanship and everything again but for right now, I just kind of focus on powerlifting. I'm a competitive person, um, so I still need something to compete in. Yes, I completely understand that because I'm the same way. Because I've, I've played sports all my life since I was a little kid, you know, doing swim team and all these kind of things, you know, up until now. Whereas I, I'm, not, I'm not, I don't feel like myself unless I'm competing. And it's yeah. so nice to be able to compete again, you know, which is why I love Olympic weightlifting so much. Is because like I've got a good team and I've got a good coach and I'm having fun. We're competing. We're having fun, but it's still just for me. It's also still just a hobby because I've got work and family life and all those other kind of things. Sure. You know, so it's fun, yeah, but it's not super serious. But it also gives me something to kind of strive for and kind of work on, which is kind of fun. Yeah, it, it's nice too because Olympic weightlifting, uh, powerlifting, they've got a spot for guys like you or I that do it casually, that yes. do it as a hobby. And then there's, of course, the spot for the pros. You know, there's there's that Olympic stage and in, in, in world well, stage. Well, in my sport, in, not your in, sport. But. In mine, they're, they're trying to get it on an Olympic stage. But there's definitely an, interna- there's an IPF, International Powerlifting Federation. So there is an international stage for yeah. it uh, that I'm never going to even come close to seeing unless I'm just a spectator. But it's cool that locally I still have that opportunity to compete and have a chance at actually winning something, not just going out there competing and getting last place that's not competing uh but you have that chance to compete within your own domain and that's what i really like about powerlifting that's what i like about weightlifting you have these chances at these local meets to compete within your own ability against people that are like you that have jobs that have families that have all those other things and then they're still trying to do this and they want to be competitive just like we do now so. what got you into to lifting weights was it like high school sports or you get into it after high school yeah so that's a great question um I started working out because after moving back from Florida, I didn't have an abundance of friends when I I first got back. And we lived in a duplex, and my uncle, who we were living with, had weights in his basement. And, again, I I mentioned I'm a geek, so I'm into Dungeons & Dragons and video games and all that computer games and all that dweeby stuff uh, that usually gets you beat up in school. So I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to get beat up. So working out (laughs) became like a turtle shell for me almost where I figured, okay, well I'm going to work out like crazy so that nobody really picks on me or starts, start stuff with me. So it kind of started almost as a defense mechanism slash lonely coping mechanism. And uh, it's funny because my uncle only had two CDs in his basement. He had uh, what's it, Eiffel 65, the people that did that blue Babu Dee Babu Die song. Yeah. And so he just had that, and it was just that song. It wasn't even anything else. It was just that just song. So I just had to listen to that single over and over again. And then he had the Rudy soundtrack, which is what I listened to most of the time. So I would work out to this epic soundtrack, and I'm bench pressing like 75 pounds. It's choking me because I got no spotter down that's there. That's hilarious. So that's kind of how it started. And then I just kind of continued 
continued with it, I got a little bit of recognition, you know, it started with maybe like family members, friends, but then coaches and baseball and stuff like that. Uh, so got a little bit more recognition from it. Of course, you get to that kind of mid to late teenager, early young man stage where all of a sudden you get recognition from the opposite gender. So that definitely fueled it too. So for a while working out was more vanity than function. Um, and it really, it kind of stayed that way until, um, you know, we opened up this chiropractic CrossFit link and CrossFit showed me that you could compete in the sport of fitness. And so I started with the idea that, hey, I'm going to try to do this CrossFit thing. And I was always pretty strong in the weight room, even though I was just going more for physique. I was always decently strong in the weight room. Uh, I completely neglected legs, like absolutely twig legs, neglected them, never really squatted more than like 225. I was doing MMA at the time, so I didn't want to get huge. And my skinny legs were kind of an advantage because I could you know, wrap people up, do a lot of jujitsu with skinnier legs. It's easier to use that stuff. Okay. Um, so I, that was my excuse. Anyways, that well, was, it's, it I mean, it's, it's it a rubbish valid, excuse, but, but we'll but let you have it. It was my excuse. Exactly. So Whatever it, makes you it feel wasn't better, a Max. good excuse, but it was my <laughs> excuse. So, um, so yeah, kind of when we did this CrossFit bit, that really got me excited in the competition of fitness. And then because when we opened this, I just stopped doing baseball. I saw the idea to compete in something. So in the beginning, I tried to compete more on the CrossFit level. Um, well, it turns out I don't like to pant and throw up after workouts. And I'm I, just, I can't imagine why you would yeah, like exactly. not love that. So um, I give all the credit in the world to the people who are good at CrossFit. And I still am fascinated by the sport. The games just happened, the big, uh, you know, international games. And I watched every day of it. Um, I love it. I treat CrossFitters. I think it's awesome. I still do it. I just only do it a, maybe a day or two a week yeah. to stay healthy. Um, that's, that's um, in my opinion, that's kind of how you should use CrossFit. Yeah, if you want to be good at the sport of CrossFit, you've got to do a lot of it. But for most people, yeah. they need to be doing structured strength work and a couple of CrossFit workouts a week. It's all just you really need. Just, just some cardio. Yeah, you got to stay healthy. And, and since I don't like uh, going and pounding pavement for, you know, two hours or even an hour, CrossFit's nice because I can get my heart rate up in 15, 20 minutes, get what I need out of my cardio, and then get on with the day. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I realized pretty quickly that I wasn't going to be able to compete at the level that I wanted to compete at in CrossFit without pouring way more time into it, and I didn't have that time. And then who knows if you're still good enough for it. With CrossFit, there's definitely that mold of like what an ideal guy's build, weight, shape should be, and I'm bigger than that just naturally. Um, doesn't mean you can't make it happen, just means you're going to have to work all that much harder because mechanically you're at disadvantage. Yeah, a little uh, bit. Obviously, you did CrossFit, and you were at even more of that mechanical disadvantage. Yeah, so, when you're 6'5 so and 270 pounds, yeah. you know, pull-ups and burpees <laughs> kind of suck. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, this isn't for me. They so don't, I like weightlifting a lot better. They don't even make the pull-up bars high enough for you to not have your feet on the ground no, when no, you're no, doing no, it. No, lifting so, things over my head is a lot more fun than CrossFit. Yeah, So <laughs> in, but again, I, I respect the sport so much, and I still partake in the sport, and, and I love my athletes who are CrossFitters because they are so bound to being more functionally fit and functionally healthy that it just fits with chiropractic too. Yeah. Um, but then I, at first CrossFit has a natural segue into weightlifting. So I tried to do that. 
Um, but I was even finding that with weightlifting, I was going to have to put more time into it than I necessarily had at the time that I was trying to make that decision. So, um, I had a little more natural predisposition for weightlifting than I did CrossFit, but I still wouldn't say I had as much of a natural predisposition for weightlifting as I do powerlifting. Yes, I would agree with that. That that clean and jerk and that snatch. So I was kind of just using the fact that I was strong to bully the weights essentially, um, where weightlifting is a lot more of a snappy quick speed everything comes from hip drive it's, it's all timing um, yeah and it's it's timing and so that muscle memory is super integral um so i did a, i did a little bit of that and never really competed in that um outside of some crossfit competitions that had weightlifting as one of the events um but did de- did decent with weightlifting um and then made the transition into powerlifting uh, because it was something that I could do, and I was listening to these well-known powerlifters, and they were saying, oh, yeah, I only work out three days a week, and realizing that that sport is well-centered around the recovery aspect of it. So rather than focusing quite as hard on the muscle memory or the volume of the training, it's much more focused on lift things heavy and then recover for two days. Yeah. Lift things heavy, recover for two days. Yeah, which, which kind of fits your lifestyle a lot better now, especially running a business and trying to have a family life and doing everything else. You so. got it. You got it. It just it. makes this, sense. This past week, I only worked out two times in the week. And so you can't work out two times in those other two sports, Olympic weightlifting and CrossFit, and expect to meet a lot of success in them. But with powerlifting, that really only means I missed one workout day. So pretty cool on that, uh, that I'm able to still compete, find something that I can do that's athletic in my mind, um, and do well with it. Um, So... That uh, that's kind of the path I've stayed on now uh, with powerlifting, and I've I've met some local success in the powerlifting uh, world. So I'm not the strongest bench presser, deadlifter, or back squatter, but my numbers are all kind of average for my weight and because i don't have like a gaping hole in any one of those three lifts uh i can do pretty well especially if it's a light field at a local meet or something like that so you're not gonna be seeing me like i said on an international stage you're not gonna well those guys are all freaks and you you just you can't keep up with them unless you quit your job and train full-time and even then chances are you're still you're still not going to keep up with them because they do that too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, they've got a head start on me. Exactly. So, but it allows me to again stay competitive and exercise as much as I need to to do those things. Um, so that's that's kind of where I found a home now. I compete in the 100% Raw Powerlifting Federation. What I really like about 100% Raw is um, it's a no gear federation. Not that I'm against it entirely, although chiropractically I, I have some things to say about it. Um, but I don't use it, so there's no need for me to be competing in a federation that allows you to use gear. Uh, by gear, I mean these shirts and these squat shorts that help you squat more and bench press more. Yeah. Um, so we're still allowed to use belts and wrist wraps. I'm making a hard push in the federation for them to allow us to use knee sleeves, too, for more for protection, not as much for the weight that you lift when you squat. Exactly, yeah. So, um, so you are allowed to wear those things. But the other really nice thing about 100% Raw is they throw it in your face and then they throw it in your face a million more times when you're signing up and when you're competing, they're going to drug test you. I've been competing in the Federation now for about a year and a half and I've already been pulled for random drug tests twice, which almost makes it feel not random. But uh, uh, they've pulled me twice. Uh, Both times were at the national qualifying meet. I got pulled uh, to take the uh, golden trophy, as we call it. Um, Both times passed no problem. But I like that. Um, I don't 
I don't necessarily hate that there's federations that don't drug test. That's okay. Everyone's allowed to do what they need to do to their body to perform at the level they want to perform. So if you want to take some banned substances, that's fine, but compete in other federations. Yeah, the ones that don't test. Exactly. Don't compete against me because I'm not taking those things. And it's an unreasonable expectation for myself to think that I'm going to keep up with those guys. Hey, all the cooler if I get a chance to beat one of them, but it doesn't happen often. Yeah, those top tier guys. It's rare that are also on the vitamin S it's just it's tough to keep up with them they recover too fast and they're just they're just too darn strong yeah um the only thing you know that I have a chance to beat them at is uh longevity because a lot of those guys hurt themselves early on in their career and then they're not lifting five ten years down the road and um you know some of that's related to taking sub, uh, substances like steroids sometimes it can be yeah so um so yeah that's the federation i lift in one really cool thing about the federation i lift in is they also include this strict curl and it was funny how i found myself in it uh signed up for one of their events and my buddy said hey you got some decent sized arms why don't you do the curl too and i was like yeah sure at that time i was mainly focused on just a little bit of power lifting and still crossfitting so i had, i hadn't curled since I had stepped away from like the traditional weight room setting and looked up the, the state record for the curl in my weight class, threw it on a, on a cambered bar and hit it in the gym. Like the day I decided, yeah, I'll try the curl and was like, Hey, wait a minute. I have a little bit of a knack for this. And it's probably a little bit of a low hanging fruit because not a whole lot of powerlifters do it for weight. If you see powerlifters and weightlifters doing it, they're usually doing it, Uh, for balance so they're doing it for that whole agonist antagonist training mechanism so they're not doing it to lift the heaviest possible curling weight they're doing it to uh, balance out their triceps so they're not as injury prone Um, so again I would admit that's probably low-hanging fruit too but I've met some success on that uh, just a little bit of success yeah Yeah. so you're pretty good at it strict curling is kind of my thing well it's it's kind of turned into that just because it's something that you're kind of naturally good at and you don't have tons of time to really hammer everything else out too so it's just it's just something you're kind of naturally good at and you work hard at it let's be real honest here yeah it's yeah. not like you just show up and lift you're right you, know, right. you, you train for it but. right and that was that's the difference between last year and this year too last year when I first started doing it I did kind of show up and just if I trained it it was more as an accessory it was never a focus um and met some success with it um and then this year kind of realized, hey, man, you're not very far away from, like, these world numbers, you know, world records and things like that. Maybe if you tried a little harder at this and poured a little more time into this, you might be able to do something that puts your name in a record yeah. book. And dare I say, big things are coming here pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. So we'll let you guys know what, what happens with that later. But I think it's a good time to kind of wrap things up. This has been a lot of fun. So I, I greatly appreciate you taking the time, Max, to sit down and talk with us. Um, so wh- where can people go to find more about you and kind of what you do? Yeah, so um, best spot to go would be our website, T-H-Y-C-H-I-R-O, C-H-I-R-O, uh, dot com. Uh, if you ever want to get in touch with me, have questions about healthcare, you can definitely email me through the website or you can email me at thycairo at gmail.com. Uh, so for any questions about chiropractic or anything uh, that we covered in this podcast, maybe uh, my opinions on politics and that whole segue, <laughs> you can feel free to email me there. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, as he mentioned, I, I do try to post some video and stuff like that. So if you go on YouTube and type in my entire name, which is Maximilian Zart, uh, on YouTube, you can find a little bit of stuff. First off, you can find a little bit of rehabilitative videos that relate to the chiropractic, but you can also see a couple of videos of my lifts and things like that. Very cool. So. All right. Well, Max, thanks. I appreciate it. And I will look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you.
Well, that was fun. I hope you guys enjoyed yourself as much as I did. That is the kind of conversation that I wanted to start this podcast for. I had a blast. We got to know quite a bit about Dr. Max. We got off into the weeds a little bit. We talked about politics. We just, we just had a good time. And I hope that you guys enjoyed yourself as much as I did. I do want to apologize to the millennials. Uh, what I said earlier in the podcast was more for effect for Dr. Max. I didn't like the fact that he was trying to be politically correct and worried about what he was saying. It's like, no, this is fucking uncensored humanity. So I just, I wanted to say what I said just to shake his tree, you know, and I apologize for that. But you know what? We do get a, a bad rap from the older generations that were lazy or arrogant or whatever. And and I think the, the best way to, to, to fix that is just to put our heads down, do the work and move forward and just prove them wrong. And I'm just as guilty as everyone else. And I'm going to push forward and do the best that I can. And I know that you guys will too. So stay tuned. we got a couple of other good podcasts coming up soon. I know you guys will enjoy it. I'm quite looking forward to doing. So we'll see you next time on the Uncensored Humanity Podcast.